0: So, if we haven't met, my name is uh, David, and I'm a part of the team here at New Life Wichita. And for those of us, uh, for those of you that are watching online, welcome. For my Spanish speaking friends and family, bienvenidos, buenos dias. <laughs> buenos dias a New Life Wichita. Estoy agradecido con Dios por este privilegio y por estar aquí hoy. Hemos estado en una serie sobre el libro de Nehemias, y hoy es el último domingo en esta serie. Y vamos a ver cómo personas estamos aptos a desviarnos, no solo de las cosas de Dios, pero en las cosas espirituales. Y aquí en los últimos capítulos de Nehemías encontramos lecciones sobre cómo evitarlo y mantenernos enfocados. Y también veremos de que aún nosotros que nos hemos desviado, Dios siempre ofrece una segunda oportunidad. Show of hands. How many made a New Year's resolution? If you made a New Year's resolution. If you're watching online, comment section, you can let us know. I see a lot of hand waving here and there. Okay. Okay. How many of you made two or three New Year's resolution? Okay. And if you're like me, you've got to have like smart objectives, right? You can't just have a goal. It's got to be you know, measurable, it's got to be achievable, relatable, and it's got to be all these things, okay? How many of you that went like this, you guys have kept your New Year's resolution? Yeah? Okay, so for those of you that are watching online, I've got a lot of this, a lot of that, and then no hands, so... (laughs) Some of my goals each year are to improve my health by exercising more frequently, uh, aiming for better habits. And so each January, usually around the beginning of the year, I I drink less soda, less snacks, less sugar. Uh, I try to go to the gym more often. And I'm a part of the hundreds and hundreds of people that go to the Y on the 1st of January. You know, pretend like the shirt is not new. Pretend like the shoes don't need to be broken in. Like I know how to work the treadmill machine, even though they've probably changed it twice since the last time I was there. Um, pretend like I know the staff, and, and the amazing thing is that the people at the Y they embrace us like we're prodigal child. Like, come, come, come! Oh yeah, we're so glad that you're here. And and I'm just one domino away from the whole thing just falling apart. Right? It, it's it's almost like there's just this one thing that has to happen, and all that that I have set my goals on, it just falls apart. And so for me every March, I fail, I fail, because that's when Girl Scout cookies go on sale, (laughs) and there's like no way to avoid it, right, and even now with COVID, like, they've gotten so, so advanced, I'll get an email from my cookie dealer, like, hey, I'm doing a pre-sale of Girl Scout cookies, Or, or now they accept, like, online orders, and they'll ship it to your house, I'm like, where did that come from, they're at the grocery store, they've got their table set up outside, and the hardest thing to do is to leave Dylan's, pretend like you don't have $5 for cookies, after your cart is full like, of junk food, and you're like, I'm just going to keep on going, keep on going. And just so that it's settled, Thin Mints are the best Girl Scout cookies. Can I get an amen? Oh. Thin mints are the best Girl Scout cookies, and there's nothing quite like a cold thin mint. I'm talking about straight out of the freezer for that ultimate cool mint chocolate cookie experience. And by the way, a serving size is a sleeve, okay? A whole sleeve. <laughs> True story, I once met my cookie dealer behind the gas station because I did not want to get caught. (laughs) I also didn't want to share who she was, so I didn't want anyone else to to buy off from her either. (laughs) Some of the most popular goals that we as Americans have each year, they deal with health and finances. Uh, We want to improve our fitness. We want to lose weight. We want to improve our diet. We want to improve our finances. And for those of us that are failing at New Year's resolutions, uh, you are not alone. In fact, it's, it's reasons for this that we have come up with names, like Ditch New Year's Resolution Day, uh, which is on January 17, or Quitter's Day, which is on the second Friday in January. In fact, for those that make a New Year's resolution, only 76% are still successful after the first week. After one month, that number drops down to 46%. And after six months, that number drops down to less than half. So about 46% of people that make a New Year's resolution are actually successful at keeping it. Why? (laughs) Because we tend to drift. But drift doesn't just occur at the personal level, it happens to even the best of organizations. So consider this mission statement from a well-known university. To be plainly instructed and considered well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Any guesses? It's exactly, it's not Wichita State, it's not the University of Kansas, in fact, it's not even a seminary. It is Harvard University And even today on the diploma of Harvard University are the words Veritas, Cristo, Ecclesia, which are Latin for truth for Christ and the church. On the 350th anniversary of Harvard, a historian was invited to speak on the history of Harvard. And this was the punchline. This was his conclusion. This university has become godless. 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 So they studied it, and they said that there is no trace of what this institution was created to be. point is that today, Harvard is an incredible institution with an unmatched reputation, but it no longer resembles its founding. Only 80 years after the founding of Harvard, a group of New England pastors sensed that Harvard was drifting too far for their liking And they decided that they were going to start a new university, a new institution for higher Christian education. And their, their motto, unlike Harvard, wasn't just Veritas, but it was Lux et Veritas, which is Latin for light and truth. And this is Yale University. Lux et Veritas. Yale University. But today... Neither Harvard nor Yale resemble the universities their founders intended them to be. They do something very different from their founding purpose. We also see this within the church. In fact, Jesus had this in mind when he told John, who was on the island of Patmos, to write this to the church in Ephesus. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 4, this is Jesus speaking to the church. He says, Yet I hold this Against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now, this drift wasn't instantaneous, it happened over a period of time. But to some degree, the same can be said of our own spiritual lives, right? For those of us that have been followers of Jesus for a long time, where we've grown up in Christian contexts, There are times to where we committed to something spiritual, and we started, and then we stopped. It wasn't that long ago that I ran into a friend at the store. We had both been a part of college ministry. We had both been a part of church events. We had gone to conferences. We had been on fire for Jesus. But just over time, we, we lost touch. Yet, as we began to catch up, it became clear that my friend's life had taken a different turn he had gone through some tough times. And I got the sense that he had distanced himself from God. And right before we parted ways, his last words to me were, David, I need to get back to church. I need to get back to church. And maybe that's your story. I know that in some cases that is my story too. Some of us have committed to reading our Bibles every day praying more often, to attending church regularly, to volunteering, to getting more involved, to giving financially, to giving financially more regularly. And we've started, and we've stopped. Or some of us have committed to building stronger relationships. Honestly, some of us just need to get rid of some relationships. (laughs) Maybe you've committed to doing that too. You've committed to being more patient, more loving, more kind, and you've started, and you've stopped. And we're serious. But for some reason, we start well, but we just lose momentum. And the reason is that as real as that spiritual encounter with God was, as real as that insight was, and as overwhelming as that, as that message was, or, or that preacher was, or that, that Bible verse that you read was, or that answer to prayer was, it doesn't provide enough momentum to get us to get you through to the end. It takes something else. So for the past three months, we've been in this series and this incredible journey exploring the power of having clear and worthy vision in your life and in my life, one that lines up with the divine. In our message series, Hand Me Another Brick, has been nothing short of inspiring as we've delved into the story of a man named Nehemiah, a man that saw how things were as opposed to how they could and how they should be. And he dedicated his whole life to it. So to end this series, uh, we're going to see that like the people in Nehemiah's time, no one, no one is outside the realm of drifting. And in the end of Nehemiah, we see key principles, things that we can do to help keep us on vision. And we'll also see that for those of us that have drifted or in the process of drifting, That there's always, there's always a second chance. So if you have your Bible or or your Bible app, we're going to take a look at a few passages from the book of Nehemiah. It's a book in the Old Testament, and we're going to see chapter 9 and chapter 13. And if you don't have your verses or your Bible, that's okay. We'll actually have the verses on the screen. But to recap, God inspired Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls. And the thing to remember is that Nehemiah was a Jewish man who was in exile. He he hadn't been to Jerusalem before, but he had this divine calling that he wanted to go back to rebuild the walls. And so he asked the king, he says, I need to go back. I need to rebuild the walls. And the king not only just gives him his approval, but he also funds the entire thing. And despite huge resistance and great opposition, miraculously, he was able to rally the people together together. And they were able to rebuild the city walls in just 52 days. However, it wasn't just the walls that were being restored. Even more important, the people's love for God and their obedience for his word were reignited. And last week in chapter 8, we witnessed a stunning revival where the people opened up their hearts and minds to God's message. They devoured his word, studying and listening to it. And they recognized that God was in their midst, and they fell to their knees. But they also celebrated. So the first thing that we can learn from this is, what do we do next? Right? What are the next steps? From Nehemiah here in chapter 9, first thing we learn is confess. Confession. Now, confession is not a sinner's prayer. And if you grew up in church context like me, every Sunday you felt compelled to to answer the altar call. I mean, it was one of those things where only Christians can make Christians want to go back to Jesus, right? (laughs) And and, and I always felt so convicted because I was like, I lied to my parents. I need to confess. But that's not what's happening here, right? We're talking about an acknowledgement, awareness. It's taking stock of oneself. It's becoming aware of the current state of being, where you're at, and taking a look at that. It's not a guilt trip or beating yourself up, it's careful confession of faith, repentance of wrongdoing that leads to a fresh beginning and a new start. So Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 1 says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the guilt of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Uh, First thing that comes to mind is the ending there. It says that they spent a quarter of the day worshiping the Lord their God, another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. If you grew up in, in church like me, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. So every Sunday, this was kind of my experience. Maybe this was your experience too. But you think our services here are long? Theirs were even longer. But the the idea here is that the first thing the Israelites did was that they confessed. They confessed that God is the only true God. They confessed their wrongdoing, not just their wrongdoing, but the wrongdoing of their ancestors. And they see their sins in the context of their lineages, starting with the call of Abraham to the exodus from Egypt and their time in the wilderness. And they recount how God has called them to the promised land and yet how time and time again they would rebel and they would disobey. But even in the midst of their disobedience, they recount the ways that God has been faithful to them throughout their history. Verse 16 and 17, But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You, therefore, you did not desert them. Verse 26, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. So what you see here time and time again is really the the common thread in what we find in the Old Testament, and that is that every time that the Israelites would disobey, every time they would repel away from God, they would fall into this spiral. But even in the midst of that, God was still faithful, and he would pull them back, and then they would pull back, and then God would have to pull them back. Verse 29 You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. For many years you were patient with them, yet they paid no attention. They agree that God is faithful and they have acted wickedly and they celebrate God over and over again for who he is and what he's done. And this is where the prayer takes a turn. In your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. I love this next line here. It says, now therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, On our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people. From the days of the kings of Assyria until today, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. They're not beating themselves up for their failures. They are praising God. Because he restores. And they see themselves as part of the continuing story of God. And they realize that they have failed. But they also remember what God did for a group of slaves. He did for a rebellious group of people. And what he does it over and over again. The next thing that they did is that they recognized that confessing and repenting simply wasn't enough. Like they needed to actually do something. Not just words, but actually have actions. And so they make an agreement, an agreement to renew the covenant which, which they broke, and they kept each other accountable. In other words, they kind of stepped up and they said, you know what? Our ancestors failed you. Our ancestors failed you, but we, we will do better. We will turn things around. Verse 38, in view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. And so they sign a covenant with God. And in essence, they say, we swear we won't marry our sons and daughters off to foreign men and women who would lead them astray from a holy God. They say, we swear we'll bring tithes into the temple so the Levites who minister to us don't have to tend to fields. They can full-time minister to us from within the temple. They say, we swear we'll keep the fire burning. And we'll swear we'll keep the Sabbath of rest and worship. And so not only do they set this this special structure in place, but they keep each other accountable. So a few years ago, I was going through a unique set of health challenges. Uh, I couldn't figure out what what was going on. Tried consulting doctors. Um, I tried a little bit of everything, and, and yet nothing was working. Around that same time, uh, Amber had discovered my wife. Amber had discovered this new diet called the the Whole 30 program. The Whole 30 program, uh, and, and me being the the great and awesome husband that I am. Hi, Amber. <laughs> um, I was like, you know what? You shouldn't do this alone. I will. I will do. I will do this with you. I will do this with you. So, <laughs> some of you know where I'm going with this. Uh, Uh, I didn't know what it was. I just knew that this was a thing that that Amber wanted to do. And so uh, pro tip, husbands, you guys, you know, just go along with it. You'll discover later how things work out. But uh, (laughs) after all, I mean, what's what's 30 days, right? Less than a month. I mean, 30 days. I mean, we, we can do this. We can do this. So to Amber's credit, she gave me plenty of warning. She's like, okay. She's like, keep in mind. These are some of the things that you're just going to you're gonna have to do. And I was like, you know what? That's okay. I'm going to do it. I was so desperate. I really wanted to get my health back together that I said, I, I will do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes. Uh, but I wasn't going to let her do this alone. And so I accepted the challenge. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with the Whole 30 program, it is a very restrictive diet very restrictive diet to where for 30 days you avoid any drinks, meals, ingredients, anything that contains added sugar, uh, real or artificial. So no Diet Coke, no Coke Zero, um, no alcohol of any form. Some of you guys are like, well, that was great. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing Dash Diet instead, so I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> uh, no grains. No grains. Bread, corn, rice, no beans. Try telling a brown man like myself, okay, you can't have beans or rice. Like, that's half of everyone's Chipotle bowls right there. (laughs) Almost every meal that I'm used to has beans and rice. And so, no beans, no rice, no dairy, no ice cream, no milk, no ranch dressing, anything that contains dairy, okay? And no loopholes. You absolutely cannot recreate cheesecake with any other approved ingredients. Can't do that. So, what can you eat? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Nowadays, there's like a whole community that's dedicated to this. You can actually buy recipe books. There's like a whole Facebook accountability group. I mean, it's, it's the whole structure. It's just amazing to see how it's grown. But back then when this thing was first starting, it was hard to find meals or anything that, that was like Whole30 approved. Even restaurants back then, they weren't really on board with this. So, I mean, you, you kind of had to consult the Facebook group. It's like, hey, I'm getting ready to go to Chipotle. What can I have? They're like lettuce. And you're like, well, I'm not going there, so where else can I go? And they're like, well, you know, if you go here, you can buy this and that. I mean, it it was a whole ordeal. And nowadays, you actually can find those kind of meals. You can go to Chipotle, and they've got Whole30 approved meals and and all these other things. Uh, So it's much easier. So we'd go to the store, and a typical trip to the store, we'd have to look at the labels in the back, and if there was anything that had any of these ingredients, we'd have to put it back on the shelf. So it's amazing how many meals or how many things actually contain these things. It's like sugar. Um, Or you'd have to look up certain fancy words. It's like, okay, sugar. And then you'd have to put it back on the shelf. And so the first week went okay. I mean, I've fasted before, so it's okay. The first week went okay. But after the second week, I got very frustrated, I got grumpy. I remember one time I went to a fast food restaurant because they claimed to have a vegetable burger. And so I'm, I'm sitting at the parking lot and I look like an idiot because I had just gone in. And I was like, I want the vegetable burger. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's like that one thing that's like in the corner of the menu there. They're like, oh, we don't do that. And so I called Amber and I was like, can I just have half of just a regular burger? Like, can I just, do, I just can't do this. And she's like, no, we have to stick together. We have to do this. And we'd hold each other accountable. It's like, you know, you couldn't walk into a restaurant because your body had been so starved of all of these ingredients that you're accustomed to that just getting a whiff of like, of, like, fries or just the grease, it's like, like that's it. Well, you know, I made it to day 15, all right? Half is good enough. And I remember that one time I got home and I was so mad. I was so mad that, that I confronted Amber and I said, you know what? I said, you need to quit. Like, right now. You need to quit right now. And that went about as well as he thought it could. Uh, she, she gets in my face, and she's like, no. She's like, I'm not quitting. She's like, you're not going to quit. I was like, you need to quit right now because I can't do this. I can't do this. She's like, well, you quit. She's like, but if you quit, you can't tell anybody that you did anything. I was like, oh. "It's like." I was like so mad. I was like, oh, why? because she was so right. I'm like, I was like you, you can't really make it happen that way. And so the point in all of this is that we had to hold each other accountable. If we didn't hold each other accountable, then one of us was going to stop. One of us was going was to deviate, was going to move away. And so in your life, in your spiritual life, who is holding you accountable? You need people in your life that you're doing life with, and you need to give them permission to be truly honest with you. But you also need need to give yourself permission to receive that honest feedback. And so if there's someone in your life that's holding you accountable, whether that is with your time, whether that's with the things of spiritual life, someone that can come up to you and say, you know what, David, I see that you've dedicated way too much time to work. Um... You're neglecting your family, and that is not okay. Like, I'm so concerned for you in this moment, and I want you to, to do what is right. And so you need to take a step back. You need to cut down your hours. You need to focus on your family or, hey, you know, I, I've noticed that your Facebook post. Like, what, what's going on there? Um, that doesn't sound or look like Jesus. Like, you need to tone it down. You need someone in your life that can hold you accountable because what a shame to have a vision for your life, a vision for your marriage, for your children, for your church, for this community, and to see God begin to intervene. And then you start making careless decisions careless with your time, you're careless with your finances, your relationships, and the whole thing just falls apart. Lastly, How do you stay on vision? You remember. Remember. The Israelites remembered that God made a covenant with Abraham, promising that both a nation and the Messiah would descend from him. They remembered God made a a covenant with Moses and the nation of Israel when he gave them the law at Mount Sinai. And they remembered God made a covenant with King David promising the Messiah would come from his family. But the greatest covenant in that promised Messiah was yet to come. And we're so fortunate to see things on this side of history because that Messiah, he did show up. And that is what we celebrate this week leading up to Easter on Passion Week. It's a perfect example for us that Jesus is the fulfillment of your life, and of my life. So as I close here, uh, the encouragement for all of us in the story of Nehemiah is that in the story of Nehemiah, you find your story. You find your story, and you find my story. Because while we're all prone to drift, God is a God of second chances. So if in your life you recognize there is something that you need to confess, or there's someone that needs to hold you accountable, there's always, with God, there's always a second chance. And One of the interesting things that has, is happening today is that more and more people are affiliating with the none group the no-religious affiliation. And it's interesting because the majority of the people that are part of this group grew up in Christian contexts, or came from Christian backgrounds, if for some reason over time there was either a church experience or there was something that they just were wrestling with and they drifted, and they drifted. And we can be prone to drift. And so the encouragement today is I want to remind you of this amazing hymn. It's Come Thou Fount. Some of you guys are going to listen to this and you're going to start singing it. But here's how it goes. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melody of sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of God's unchanging love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor! Daily I am constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So the book of Nehemiah ends with prayer. God, you have to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We long for justice, compassion, and love, but we can't usher it in under our own efforts. All our hope is on God to do what he can do, what he can do. And at the end of the book of Nehemiah, we find a Nehemiah who after all this journey and after all of this time, he says, God, remember me. He says, God, remember me because I tried. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision. For contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits, remember me with favor, my God. And that is the calling of this community here of New Life, which is is that everything that we do and everything that we say, it all points to Jesus. Because we can't do it alone. And so if you've been a part of this community, What I love about this community is that most churches are content to consume, consume, right? We want to take in this information. We want to take in all of the knowledge. We want to be convicted. But one of the best things about this community is that we are here for you. We are here for you. And we will do whatever we can to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your life, beginning today beginning today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing journey that we've been on in the book of Nehemiah and some of the things that we've seen. And it has been revealing not only for for me, but for many of us in this community and for those that are watching online. God, and I pray that in everything that I say and everything that we do as New Life Wichita, that it will point to you. It will point to Jesus because it's in this story that we find your story, that we find our story. And ultimately, it was through your son, Jesus, that we, God, find fulfillment of life. And so I pray that for the future, looking ahead for the things to come, that that will continue to be our story, that that will continue to be the things that we do that we say our drive vision and everything for our lives and for those that are here today that are exploring or for those that are on board with that God that you would reignite in them that same drive that same vision that same passion for your things not only in this community but in this city we thank you for everything God amen